when you are working with ninth and 10th graders, you're dealing with apathy and telling them the stories of how people lived heroic lives when everyone else walked away. That shocks them out of complacency and apathy and into like, well, maybe heroism is actually possible. Welcome, everyone, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave Slippery Slope Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> Slippery Slope. Well, now I feel bad because you made fun of the episode with Father Dave <laughs> that I was like, you mean the 30 to do minute commercial? You mean the 30 no, minute I, commercial? Do you know what's funny is that, like, he said, that's so funny that you say that. I guess that's just me. That's just my life because I love it so much. But, but, um, but I, he didn't even want to like. He didn't care what we talked about. Like yeah. he would have talked about anything. So he, he hungers and thirsts for evangelization, and I yeah. I really encountered that with him when we were at that evangelization mastermind that you hosted. Yeah, and yeah. he was there, and he had that wonderful critique. He's like, you know, so many people emphasize Catholic education, and while we need Catholic education, we need to be evangelists who are spirit filled. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like that right. a lot. So uh, yeah, no, it was great. It was funny because. Um, just stuff related to work and anxiety and my inability to cope. I have been waking up at like two o'clock in the morning every morning. And wow. uh, yeah. And so like I just for, for the day for the day. Wow. And so okay. I, um, I got back from work uh, at like three thirty one day and I went right upstairs and I laid down and I was trying to fall asleep and I put on that episode and uh, I listened to, it. I was like, Oh good. It's out. I'm going to listen to it. And I couldn't fall asleep. I was, it was great. I loved it. I loved That's it. Funny. All right. Uh, but you ruined right. my sleep schedule. So how dare you? Um, so what are you doing? Are you doing any online as, as in the age yeah. of COVID? Yeah. So uh, next Thursday, actually. Uh, oh, which will be tomorrow when this airs. <laughs> when this airs. Yeah. 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 I have 500 spots available. So there should be plenty of room because um, I cannot imagine 500 people wanting to hear me talk for an hour and a half. But I mean, but, we just uh, have a podcast with a regular audience of 4000. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, but you're you're the you know the handsome side of that. That's um, true. That's true. The uh, I'm doing the Catholic truth about angels, demons, ghosts, exorcisms, and hauntings for the first time online. For the first time, uh, you know, recorded in that way. So um, I, it'll be interesting. I don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna work out. It, I, I, I certainly would prefer like the event works well with a live audience. Um, but we'll see how this works, you know, online, you know, we're all trying to make adjustments. And so, so many people, when I give that talk, say, is this going to be recorded or do you ever do this online or stream it or something? So this will be the first time ever. So, um, you can, uh, you can, it's going to be a, like a go-to webinar, um, and you can sign up. And if you go to the sinnersguide.com, I'll have that information up later on today. Um, or no, it'll be up because today is next week, right? <laughs> today uh, is next week. We're recording yeah. this on Friday. Uh, yeah. May 15th. And so our episodes come out the following Wednesday. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so just visit the website and sign up. Love so to see you there. 500 spots available, folks. So let's see if we can crush that. All the EKSP <laughs> nerds. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. I'm also doing an online thing. Um, really cool. Prince of Peace in Plano, Texas has an amazing young adult ministry. And they reached out to me a couple months ago and said, hey, could you do a video? Because you're scheduled to come out in May. Can you do a video? And I was like, yeah, sure. And you know what? The more I realize doing this online stuff, the more like 
just how difficult it is to because i love feeding off the audience me too me too and uh, you know you're gonna be lucky with the webinar like are you gonna see faces or no i won't see faces but uh, they can they can submit questions okay well, that's like half there but yeah. i'm just talking to a camera in a youth room you know and it was on liturgy and they said yours yours is gonna be the most controversial because you're gonna talk about uh, how not to become overly rigid or overly lax when it comes to the liturgy. And I'm like, okay, so rigidity, here we go. Because <laughs> I'm a fanatic <laughs> about certain things. But, you know, um, the thing that I always want to tell people is you have to put the cross of Jesus Christ, the Paschal mystery, at the center of everything. And the same is true with the liturgy. And I think the Paschal mystery helps provide a navigation point for for that. So that's going to be aired. Oh, Moses, I don't even have the date. Uh, it'll probably be out by the time you hear this. I think they, they usually do them when they do them live. They do them on Tuesdays. So I just don't have my email with me right now. Um, another cool. thing I want to I want to plug. This is just something purely me. Okay, so Dave, how are you at evangelizing people in the LGBT community? Well, I mean, it's a big part of my life. So I, I would say that I am comfortable with it, but it's not easy yeah. why because oh, this is what i've found with a lot of uh, a, a lot of categories right okay committed catholics are scared of certain moral issues when they're evangelists okay. and it's it's that tug of war between presenting the full gospel and just hanging out in the comfort of the charisma you know what i right. mean like well there's this part where they are li like you have a couple that's living together and you're and then they start to make moves towards jesus but you know that that has to change. So some people will just not talk about it. You know, characteristically okay. in the American church, you almost hear zero homilies about contraception, you know, things like right. that, because they know they're divisive and you want to give the hearing of the gospel first. But I have found that there are a lot of evangelists, and I would put myself in this category in the past, who are just, they don't even know how to start with the LGBT community, people okay. in it. And they don't know how to start because it's like, Number one, like gay people might feel like, well, the my very essence is offensive to you, and right, you know, that's it's a like, big one. yeah, I'm asking you to give up on marriage and sexual intimacy right. and all this stuff to follow this guy from 2,000 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, it can very easily get lost. And so I have always been on the struggle bus. But a friend of mine who is a devout Roman Catholic who came out um, to me privately, um, wonderful man, super super devout. He he talks about. Um, how his experience in the church is like, yeah, no one, no one is threatening me. No one yells at me, but they ignore me or they kind of wish I would go away. And, sure. uh, it was when I met these two women, Shannon and Anna in, uh, Eden invitation. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. I've heard of them. Yeah. I've heard of them. I met them when I was at a conference in Wisconsin and I saw that they had the uh, collected works of Flannery O'Connor in their little bookshelf. And I was like, I love that book. I love, you know, and we started talking yeah. and they, then they, she, it was uh, just Anna Carter who went to Franciscan. We started talking about all this stuff and I was like, holy moly, I had no idea this apostolate even existed. And I've been a big right. fan and financial supporter and they're doing a kickoff for their financial stuff for the next year. They're trying to raise, I think, $30,000. And so I just want to throw that out there. Eden Invitation. These are people who are challenging everyone with the gospel of jesus christ in a bold way right. and they're reaching this community who felt like they've been abandoned alone rejected you know whatever right. by the catholic they're community. the lepers they yeah. are the lepers of our time yeah and and they but these are people who long for christ 
And uh, I love the way Eden Invitation does it. And so when I found out that they were doing their fundraiser, I always promote them. And so I was like, I'm going to do it explicitly on the show. So yeah. Eden Invitation. Yeah. Hey, so so I don't know. Have I ever talked to you about my friend Nick on, on the show? I don't think I so. Must have. I don't think so. Okay, so so um, my friend Nick, who died, I um, I guess it was two years ago. I was at um, mm. I was at the Making Disciples. Yeah, I think you uh, did, you did mention this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he his whole thing. I I met him on an airplane. I was bumped up to first class by you know like for some reason, and uh, and he uh, and I talked, and his whole thing was um, well, you didn't you didn't even bat an eyelash when I told you I was you know same sex attracted and like that was it i mean that was enough for him to like open the door but so i i think that is true i mean yeah. i think it's just they 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 worry that we're just gonna scream at them or something you know yeah. so it's sad it yeah, is it is good stuff and they're they're great they they focus on young adults so i mean just think about this you have oh, number one, okay you have a a a whole organization that is dedicated to evangelizing young adults awesome they're the most like the most uh the organization or the the group of people who are just fleeing the church and they're right. going after them aggressively but then right. it's also on top of that the most marginalized group and they're going after them aggressively and it's awesome and uh and it's beautiful and they speak from experience you know uh she was down giving a talk uh at a youth group and i went and had breakfast with her with anna and we were talking and she said you know oftentimes chastity speakers when they bring up LGBT issues within the context of a chastity talk, they just hide behind the safety of the three paragraphs in the catechism. You know, basically, yeah. we love you. It's right. a disordered tendency, but you're still made in the image and likeness of God and redeemed by Christ. Right. And it's like, okay, how do I deal with these feelings? Right. And right. that's the beautiful gift that I think that they give. So um, if if you out there in um, out there listening to this podcast, if you want to really help evangelists, right, if you want to help evangelize two groups that are running from the church, that they do it so well. Okay. So that's my plug. Good stuff. That's Good my plug. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love them to death. And we're going to have them on the show. I already talked with them. And I said, we want to have both of you Ooh, on. Ooh, I and can't wait. Yes. I think that would be awesome. So we're just going to pick a time and, and, and go with that. Um, okay. But we have a listener email. Uh, just one email. This isn't one of those shows where we try to go through as many as possible because we get so much. This is a very focused email. Joseph in Maryland writes, I very much enjoy your podcast and you've inspired me to inject a bit of the charisma everywhere I can. Awesome, Joseph. You're learning. That's beautiful. I love it. I teach religious ed to ninth and 10th graders. Okay, full stop. U-turn. Give up on that. Just kidding. In a, lar <laughs> in a large middle-class suburban parish, my sense is that many of the kids think they are pretty good persons and certainly not sinners in need of a savior. Can you suggest strategies, besides wagging my finger at them, to help teens see how we are all in need? I love this question. Me too. I do yeah. too because I it's not just ninth and 10th graders. It's the the entire world is trapped in a universalism right now. Uh you know, and I think it's it's a desperate battle for all of us. And I think actually to be honest with you, I think I think a lot of parish priests now are trapped in that in the yeah. sense that if someone is showing the the least modicum of effort in their faith, they like canonize that person, you know? So my, my closest friend, you know, in the world, Father John Sweeney, um, he, we would always, people would come to us and be, ask us like moral questions and we would always disagree on them. And he's not like a crazy liberal or something like that, that would, would disagree. It's just that the fact that that person was even coming, asking the questions for him was like, oh, you're such a good person, obviously, you know? 
So I, I think that's a problem, uh, you know, that, that we run into. So what, what's I want to hear what you have to say. I feel like you have a lot to say about this. Well, you know, Dr. Han used to always say uh, when you are evangelizing people who are outside of the gospel, right, they don't know why they would need Jesus in their lives. Um, okay. You have to scratch where they itch. That's what he would say. You have to scratch where they itch. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yee! What is going on in their lives that that the gospel addresses? And the only way you can do that is in the context of a relationship, which is why we always emphasize having relationships with these people. Now, um, because for some of it, it is, um, you know, it, it, it is the struggles. But I will say this. Living a bourgeois middle class life is a, is anesthesia for the troubles of the soul because and this has been like this in every society the yeah. moment there is prosperity there is the massive danger of spiritual numbness right there is a lack of reliance on god i just did a uh, greek word study on the word meekness and in the old testament those who were meek were those who had nothing so they fully relied on god so when jesus says the meek will inherit the earth or the land the understanding was that it's not like I'm a pathetic, weak person. It's I have no. nothing, so I'm wide open to what God can do. Right. And those are the people who have expectational faith that God does stuff through. So, um, when the, so riches numb us. They really do. Um, I, you know, some Catholics get really nervous when we talk about wealth, and I think our Americana worship of capitalism can distort us. I mean, Dave are both capitalists. Um, but it can distort that stuff um, and and put money up so high. Uh, that being said, everyone suffers. Everyone has suffering. We cover up our suffering with booze and drugs and good grades and Netflix and all and video games and all the things that are typical of a ninth and tenth grader. So one of the things that I try to do is I show people, and this is weird, but I show people the horrors of what normal people do. Right. Like yep. um, there's this famous book. Um, oh, what is it called? It's uh, oh, I can't remember the title of the book. I'll try to research it and put it in the show notes. But the the idea of the book was there was a, a group of policemen in Nazi Germany and they oh, were yeah. normal people. Um, it was uh, I just finished it. Dang it. It's oh, on really? a shelf here somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Something about good men. Yeah. And the yeah. whole point of it is, uh, they, they were these were normal men. These weren't Nazi youth. A couple of them were, but none of them were doctrinaire Nazis. And yet, they were putting bullets in babies and in moms and in elderly people. And they were wiping out villages. And this is all done in Poland. They were a, a group of policemen who were put into a police battalion, but they were normal guys, and they were capable of this evil. And you hear their stories of how they rationalized it all away. And one of the things that I think is very powerful is today we ignore and paper over the darkness inside of us that original sin creates. And by showing it in others and showing how only a God who died for that ugliness to redeem it, not repress it, and rose to show you that there is an ultimate triumph, can you actually face the darkness within you and integrate it into your life, which is what virtue is. You know, like you and I have, you know, kind of piggybacking off this, the, the notion of desires, sexual desires, um, desires for comfort and ease and food and drink. We have to integrate those desires into our lives. But what sin does is it takes those desires and it twists them, right? And so you and I, so then those desires that are rooted in something good 
become aimed at something dark, right? And unless we admit that shadow side of us, we're never integrated human persons. And you say like, well, what would drive me as an individual to actually lay hold of this darkness, say, this is mine, I'm the one who has this within him. And then to, in, to do the tough work of integration is because you do believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a resurrection, but also this work is the cross, the plunging into darkness, the self-emptying of this dark, the, the shadow side of my life. And I'm like, and I, and I look at the world religions, right? You begin to look at this stuff and so much is, and this is kind of like, it might come close to that Protestant Catholic faith first works, but the idea is like so much of it is on these external modes of action, which are good, uh, but the cross goes all the way down to your desires, right? So what does Jesus right. say? You have heard it was said to men of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if anyone is angry with his brother or says, Raka, you fool, is liable to judgment. Like Jesus, you know, you've heard who said, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, if any man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, right, he's getting to the desires, the shadow within us, the, the, the twisting of sin within us. The problem with bourgeois suburban culture, the suburban captivity of the churches, is that because we live a comfortable life, because there is no great struggle, there's no need for reliance on God, at least in their minds. But that's also because the comfort allows them to paper over, to gloss over, and to ignore their own sinfulness, right? And so part that's why Flannery O'Connor wrote grotesque novels. She said, like, the whole point was to shock break people. Break through, yeah. Yeah, and break in with the gospel. Yeah, I, I think... Um by the way, that book is called Ordinary Men. Ordinary Men, you, that's it. Ordinary Men. Um, yeah, I, I I, think that pointing out to them, right, because what they're going to do, like if you if you ask any uh, like junior high, high school kid, like what is like their their measure of evil, um, they immediately, they all say, like when we were little, you would all say Hitler. Yeah. Now they all say Osama bin Laden. Okay, they all say stuff like that. Okay? Yeah. Um, and... And to, to like bring that the light to the fact that like, well, well, hold on a second. Like, OK, yeah, that he's an evil man. There's no question about it. But what about like the next level and the next level and the next level? And to show that there is some like level of what it means. And it's not just they're super evil people like in a Batman movie. Right. And then there's soup and then there's superheroes. Right. Uh, you know, it's it, that's not the way it works that in in, in each and every one of us, like what um, Solzhenitsyn said, right, the line through the human heart. The line between good and evil is drawn through each human heart and pointing out the fact that each of us has that in us and showing them. But I also think this and this I think this is a. A more difficult. Way to go about this, but also I think it'll be more fruitful. So like what Gomer's like saying is like the philosoph philosophical side, like present to them what's going on, right? Like meet their 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 greatest need, present to them what's going on, shine a light on what's truly happening, you know, and and be precise about it. There there is another way. And the other way I think is this. Sometimes looking at the sun can express to you how much there is darkness, okay? And so uh, or, or how dark darkness is, okay? Yeah. So what I I like to do is immerse people and I'm I'm trying to be very precise here in the intimate, and I mean that the intimate detail, psychology, thought process, and desires of the lives of the saints. Okay, 
Now, the worst thing you could do is just throw like Butler's Lives of the Saints at them and be like, <laughs> okay, this is this is the example. I I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that at all. Because what we do with Saints is we whitewash them, their lives for everyone, right? Yeah. So, so if you were to read like a, a normal entry on St. Gemma Golgani, it's perfect for anybody. And it's and it makes her seem like just a pious young girl. Her true biography, it's very difficult to read. It is very difficult to see what she went through and what she read. And same thing with St. Bernadette, right? St. Bernadette is like this sweet little girl uh, in the movies and everything like that. Reading the real life, her real life is is difficult to read. The, the desires, the the sins, the battles that they went through. And, and, and St. Therese and so forth and Padre Pio, all of these. If you can get someone to know the ins and outs, like the inner workings of the life of a saint... Uh, what you what I often see is that all of a sudden you think you're losing and it all of a sudden just triggers something in their in their heart where they're like, wait a minute, there is absolutely nothing here. There's no reason for me to live for greatness. But I, I feel that same desire in my heart that that person feels. And and the reason I'm saying that with regards to universalism is that it shows like if you don't think that there's any reason to like persevere against sin, to persevere in prayer, to worship God. Uh, and then you see this life of a saint and you see how how incredibly they struggled to do this and, and, and the unbelievable burdens that they carried to be able to do that. All of a sudden you start to think like, well, maybe there's something there that I'm missing. And maybe that something is the fulfillment to the this awful longing in my heart uh, that I have. Uh, uh, and and I and I also think, and this is my my second opinion, and then I'll let Gomer kind of kind of comment. Is um, we 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 really do as a church need to set up situations of need, right? Uh, Gomer talked about meekness. You know, one of my favorite favorite word studies from the Bible is the Anawim, right? The poor ones of Yahweh. We have to we have to set up like if we don't. If we aren't the Anawim, we need to Anawim ourselves. And there are different ways to do that. You know, there are different ways to inflict poverty on ourselves. And one of them is just even just challenge in life. Um, and I don't think that that happens anymore. Like you'll talk to people and, and, and Gomer's a huge nerd, so he doesn't know what this is like. But like one of the things that a lot of guys talk about is how transformative two a day football practices were. Oh yeah, no, I know. I did, I, I did two a days. Good did, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm, I, I'm happy. I threw up with everyone right. else. Yeah, there you go, there you go. So, so uh, people will talk about that, and and in a sense, what what you get is like, oh, all of a sudden, there's something that you're not good at. There's something that you're not great at, and you have to work for it. It does play a big role in people recognizing um, that there's a need in life. And, and it can point to greater things. I know it sounds ridiculous that I'm saying this, but it, it really do, can play a role, um, you know, of of realizing what it, it's kind of like a scared straight kind of thing. You know, getting a kid out of suburban America into a place where they need something and mom's not there to make their bed or their lunch or to, to say you can kind of call it quits, you know, like that's that can play a big role in this. Yeah. And I would say that in and of itself is the the practical side of the integration of the shadow right this the yeah. darkness within me and here's the problem with the lives of the saints is you know we clean them up oh so clean we yeah. clean them up to the it's, it offends me 
Yeah. It literally offends me. I know. And I remember I was sitting down with a friend of mine, uh, and she said, you know, and she was struggling in her prayer life. And she said, you know, I'll never, I read this, the autobiography, or, you know, this, uh, some biography of Mother Teresa, and I'll never be like her. And she oh literally is discouraged reading the lives of the saints. And I right. said, Mother Teresa would look at that story of Mother Teresa and say, I could never live up to that. Yep. Right. Yep. And that's the thing that I, I really do. Like we, tr- we make the saints perfect and yeah. that's not why they're saints. Right. Nope. I mean, like in, 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 in a sense, you know, obviously, you know, they, they're striving towards that perfection, but St. Um, Francis de Sales says, and I remember reading this at the perfect time of my life because someone was coming to me that was crippled by a scrupulosity and they were like, you know, I want to be this. Why am I not this? I pray. I do all this stuff. I want to be this. And there's a line in Introduction of Outlife where he says, the human struggle for perfection, right? He quoted, be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, right? So that's a real thing in the Catholic Church. We can't ignore that. Um, he said, the, the precise place of the struggle for perfection is against our imperfections. Yeah. And so many people, and and I blame chastity culture, right? Have you ever heard that? Or purity culture, Protestant purity culture. You ever heard that phrase? No. So, you know, the true love weights and the purity rings and all that stuff. What it did was it created, the way those talks went out, it created an inverted model of virtue. So the Catholic Church always said, you know, I remember Catholic chastity speakers always being like, the Protestants teach abstinence, we teach chastity. Which is the oh, successful okay. integration of your sexual desires with the oh, person. Okay, Whereas cool. the whole idea of the purity movement was, and really women bore the brunt of it, right? Because of their yeah. chastity, ability to get pregnant, all that stuff. But the idea was, it almost gave this image of you're already perfect. You're already at the mountaintop. The most important thing you can do is stay up there. Right. And then so women who, you know, you had high school girls who slept with their boyfriends. They thought they, they were damned to hell. Right. You know, and I I was interviewing this wonderful woman, Abigail Favale, on Catching Foxes. And she said, you know, when and she had already slept with a bunch of boys before she heard that. And they would use things like every time you sleep with them, it's like imagine wearing your perfect, beautiful wedding gown and someone walks up with a red handprint and smacks on you. And she's like, I guess I'm getting married in a red red wedding dress. And, you know, and there's so much bitterness and rejection. But that's the inversion. And I think sometimes going right to your universalism. The false notion of what it means to be to walk the Christian life is I already got it, I just need to keep it. Whereas St. Francis de Sales, you know, and even the church's use of Aristotle is I'm born untutored, I'm born fallen, I have a right. proclivity to sin, a desire for darkness, and following Christ means taking on his virtues, right? And so that I I feel like that message is so lost. But that message resonates with young people. And piggybacking what you just said, the idea of challenge. Yeah. So many young people have challenges imposed upon them by their parents, by their schools, by their coaches. But it's not related to being a good person. It's related to being a functionary in this or that small system. So be a good football player, be a good athlete, be a good, you know, uh, academic student, kid. So, you know. But we're forming, we're not forming courageous people, right? No. And when you look at the gospel, again, I return people to the gospel because every single strand, when you are working with ninth and 10th graders, you're dealing with apathy. You're dealing with profound apathy because they think everything is stupid, right? Right. And telling them the stories of how people lived heroic lives when everyone else walked away 
when everyone else, um, you know, abandoned, you know, the poor, the the plague victims and all that. And yet here was, you know, Father Damien with the leper colonies. And you tell these stories that shocks them out of complacency and apathy and into like, well, maybe heroism is actually possible. Right. Maybe it is actually possible. You know, there were two stories when that I read when I was uh, in high school that that literally haunted me and became um, probably the most motivational th- things. I mean, besides just the impetus of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and one was I read the um, the biography of St. Catherine of Siena that was written by her spiritual director. Yeah, and amazing. there's a story that... Um, Literally, people put down the book when they read the story, but she is taking care of these very sick people and she's cleaning their sores. Yeah. And she and she squeezes a sponge basically into a bowl of their seeping sores. And she it smells really affected her. And um, and she kind of turns away and she feels so heartbroken that she would turn away from this this poor soul. She literally takes that bowl and she consumes it. And I remember, I I remember thinking what, I mean, it took me a long, like months to process that story and to realize you know, what, what kind of person this is that, and how far away I was from, from, from courage. And the other one was, um, you just brought up, uh, Damien of Molokai. Damien of Molokai, right, uh, was alone. Um, for a long time, was alone for a long time. And ships would come, but they would not come onto the island because they were afraid of getting uh, the, the virus. And a priest would be on the ship. And rather than with go, forego confession, Damien, over the sound of everything, would scream his sins to the priest on the boat uh, so that he could receive absolution uh, f- uh, in confession. So I, I, I those two stories... They had profound, profound impacts on me growing up with when it comes to, okay, it, do I think I just need to be a good person or or is God looking for courage? You know? And okay, look at Maximilian Kolbe, right? Everyone agrees Nazis are evil. Tell them stories of what the Nazis did, right? And then point out how, you know, ordinary men did horrific things. Yeah. But also, you know, you go to that Victor Frankl way with Man's Search for Meaning. In Man's Search for Meaning, he very much details how people didn't just, you know, most ordinary people became vicious, evil people in who were prisoners. They did horrible things to each other uh, because of survival. Everything is stripped away. They want to survive, so they get desperate and they get brutal. Um, other people, you know, they 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 gave up. And they literally, he said, he would see people that would just lay down and they would die a day later. They would just give up. Right. right. And when you have that, you realize that, uh, you know, th- that is probably the default for many of us. We all like to think that would never be me. But then he says, but then there were a curious bunch of people that th- that were thriving and in, in that setting who were good people, who would fast so that other people could have their bread, who would do all this stuff. And he talked about, and this is where he came up with logotherapy, which is to have right. meaning in what you do. And I just think that that notion of having purpose and having meaning is missing 
from the modern narrative, especially when we live, uh, you know, Dave talked about universalism, but the other thing is materialism where there is no truth except scientific truth. And which is such an absolute lie because scientific truth can't give meaning and human beings thrive with meaning, meaning. We need meaning. We need not just challenge, but we need purpose. We need to see a point to it all. We need to struggle against it. And it's those people that that internalize that meaning. Now, what could be a greater meaning than not the meaning I invent for myself, but the meaning that I discover is why I'm here, right? I'm here to give glory and honor to God, and this is the way that God wants me to do it. That transforms ninth and 10th graders. The story of Maximilian Colby, why would they... Could, I mean, just imagine say, uh, some guy escaped, 10 people are going to die. You had nothing to do with it, right. and yet you volunteered. You were scot-free. Yeah, you volunteered to lay down your life so that others might live. Why? One, because you believe this life is not all that there is. Two, the God that created the universe loves you so much, he loved you into existence, and he died for you. So he already laid down his life. And he says, do this as an example to follow. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to get, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is your inspiration. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for others. Right? And then look, Kobe throws himself, throws himself onto the cross because he knows there's a resurrection. And he changed, he changed the world. Yeah. So, so, so to bring that back, you, you have to make sure that you don't use the saints the way they're being used <laughs> so far, right? That most look at how perfect out they are. There, yeah. Right. Most saint stories are for five year olds. Yeah. Most of them. Uh-huh. Um, and we're okay with that. Uh, don't be okay with that. They have to get to know the intimate details of a person's life for them to understand that they have things in common and then they have things that are radically different so that they can see some kind of lack there. Yeah. It's like the book of Psalms. You know, the saints are like the living Psalms. Where are you, God? When are you showing up, God? Thank you, Lord, for your vindication. Where are you, God? I'm really mad at you, God. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much that we can do um, to really inspire young people. And I'll throw this last one out. This one kind of comes from left field and I didn't realize it would work. Okay. And I think this is also very important that I kind of glossed over, but I used to run a middle school youth ministry program, right? Life Teen Edge, you know, at my church in a different city, in St. Lawrence in Sugarland. And when I was there, we didn't have enough core members. We had 300 kids and 11 core members. Okay. Wow. So I couldn't do small groups every week. So I pivoted. And what I did was I had all my core members except one for the sake of safe environment do small groups every week but once a week they did ninth the next week they did 10th and then the next okay. or uh, it's not ninth, six seventh and eighth and they would just alternate weeks that a whole grade would go off the small group so that's pretty terrible but it's the best we could do in a terrible situation right okay and the kids that were the 200 kids left with me i would do uh i i would teach a uh, a parable of jesus and that's it and okay. I remember after three weeks in a row or two weeks in a row of teaching parables, an eighth grade student came up to me and he said, I, I hope, uh, like, I don't, what was the phrase that he said? I hope I never forget what you just taught me today. He's like, I had no idea how, like, it was, it was essentially like, I had no idea how important Jesus is to my life. And all we did was, like, go through 
um, the 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 parable of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, which are very important parables. But he like understood the heart of Jesus and the kingdom through those stories. And so my my last bit of, bit of advice is just as David said to unleash the saints, unleash Jesus. Show, like Matthew 19, how the Pharisees were asking Jesus a question, is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Not because they cared about Hillel and Shammai and Jesus weighing in on debate, but because of the previous verse. Now, Jesus was in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, where John the Baptist was beheaded because he denied the validity of a marriage between Herod and uh, Herodias or whatever her name was. Right. Um, They were trying to get Jesus killed. And look at how Jesus turned the trap back on them. Like, these are things like when you begin to unleash this stuff, how it changed the world, the very world that they take for granted, right? And so looking at these things, I don't know. There's a lot of strategies. And your kids are going to be different than my kids. But it's it's like waking people up, shocking them out of apathy is always the first thing yeah. that I want to do. Yeah, I know. I know. It's the same thing. Uh, I hope that 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 helped. And I I know I know that those strategies work like every single one that we've mentioned. I've used all of them. And um, and I and I would suggest you use a combination of all of them. So um, uh, and and they do work with adults, too, in in some cases. Right. I mean, that that, you know, in a certain sense, we're all in the same boat just being in America and living a life of abundance. So, um, you know, Gomer and I love being a part of the Ascension Press family, and I hope that you'll check out ascensionpress.com, all their awesome materials. And uh, we're so thankful that they uh, sponsored this podcast. Uh, again, write us. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. We love it. Like Gomer and I just spend time talking about the emails and everything, and and we try to respond when we can. And uh, uh, if you want to reach us, reach us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. That's eksb at ascensionpress.com. We'd love, love, love to get a good rating from you on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to this podcast. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute with some practical takeaways. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista and a Baptist turned Catholic. As a Baptist, I thought that Catholic beliefs were invented, that they came out of nowhere and had no connection whatsoever to the Bible. I also happened to believe that the Old Testament was about rules, rituals, and sacrifices that the New Testament gave us permission to ignore for a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a long story, but as God began connecting the Old and New Testaments for me, I was stunned by the beautiful consistency of God in the Catholic Church. I can't tell you how exciting it was when God opened my eyes to the incredible ways the Old Testament foreshadows God's plan for the New Testament and for His Catholic Church. In my book, Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, I explain these amazing connections, and I share how those connections helped change my life. If you read this book, I promise that you will come away with tools to help you share your Catholic faith easily, answer questions about how your Catholic faith fits with what's in the Bible, and most importantly, grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you're interested in learning more or ordering a copy of Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, you can do so at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome, everyone, back. We are going to do our favorite part of the show, which is our five practical takeaways. Dave, why don't you start us off? 
Yeah, number one, uh, we've been talking a lot about saints. Pick a saint and and do like what Gomer said, a deep dive into their life, right? Uh, don't just you know find the Magnificat page. Don't just look up Butler's Lives of the Saints, but literally like find a biography that either they have written or that their spiritual director has written and really get into this. I mean, this is a, it, it's, you. I promise you, you will love it. You will get totally addicted in getting to know these saints. Uh, so pick somebody that you've always wondered about and get really deep into their life. Awesome. Number two is read the Catechism of the Catholic Church on both the virtues and the passions, moral, theological, as well as the passions. If you can increase your understanding of what, how the church views our human desiring, then that will enable you to understand like why we need heroism and courage and humility and patience with ourselves and all these things in order to grow in holiness. Awesome. Number three, we're going to do an examination of conscience, right? And what, what I want you to do is kind of look at those places that you've settled in your life. I do this all the time. Like, where are the places where I think I'm doing pretty good? I'm doing okay. Because this episode was about heroic virtue, not just settling. So just do a quick examination of conscience and kind of see those parts of your life that you could use some heroic virtue infused into. Uh, this next one, I love. this. Uh, Bishop Barron loves King David. Uh, and he has written a lot and done a lot about the life of King David. But I want to encourage you to read the story of King David, especially his fall. He was a man after God's own heart, a ruddy youth, courageous, bold, all this stuff. And when he had received all the blessings and the prosperities and all this, his heart grew slack and he began making moral compromises. He didn't go off to war with the armies. He stayed back in the comfortable castle. And then what happened? He found Bathsheba, all these things, one, two, three, four, all of these different things began happening. He, All the failures, all the consequences, right? And the idea is this is the heroic struggle, right? And he was described as a man after God's own heart. So maybe realize how deep the uh how deep sin goes the shadow goes awesome and finally number five uh just a little intercessory prayer project pray for courage to be unleashed in the church pray for courage pray for courage for those you serve pray for courage that those you're trying to reach out to pray for courage in the lives of men and women just pray for an unleashing of courage we desperately need it in in the church today Absolutely. So thank you all very much. Please head over to Ascension Press and check out their offerings, especially right now in the midst of all this stuff when we're social distancing. Maybe there is a Bible study or program that's right for you. I just recommended uh, to a couple to do the um, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life so that they could grow more in holiness as they are preparing to convalidate their marriage. And the first thing they said was, after your class, we really want to study scripture. What should I study? And I said, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. Um, so yeah, thank you all very much. Uh, hope you all are staying safe and healthy and all that good stuff. God bless y'all. God bless.